Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi everyone and welcome to My Millennium Money Professional. My name's Dev Raga and I'm your host and in this episode we will discuss the concept of game theory and how it applies to investments especially when it comes to rational decision making. Now I'm recording this from Amsterdam in the Netherlands because I'm here for a conference so shout out to all the doctors that are attending the ISIM 2023. Let's get started. Now, if you want me to discuss a specific topic or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And for those of you that are new to the channel, the aim is education, empowerment and entertainment. Now, by the time this episode airs, obviously the conference in Amsterdam will be well and truly over. I'm usually a few weeks in advance. Uh, I record my episodes, but it was great to get together, meet a lot of new doctors. There are about 1,800 doctors that attended this particular conference. And I think the largest contingent was from Australia. So shout out to all of you. If any of you attended and didn't meet me, uh, that's okay. If any of you attended and did get to meet me and I got to meet you, hello and thank you for listening to the channel. Now, what is game theory? Basically, it's all about strategic decision making based on the available or non-available information at the time. The intention of this theory is to help people make optimal decisions of independent, people who are not related to each other, and competing interest, people who have direct interest in each other's decision making and its outcomes. So how does it work? Well, a bit of history here. John von Neumann, an economist, Oscar Morgenstern, hopefully I pronounced that correctly, came up with it initially between the 1920s and 1930s, and subsequently several other people have contributed to it and improved it, and they've actually won the Nobel Prizes for their contribution. The first of such significant extensions to game theory was done by John Nash. The key to game theory is one person's payoff is contingent on the strategy implemented by the other player. This is assuming all of the players are rational decision makers and want the maximum payoff. Now, you need to know who the players are, their preferences, their available strategies, and how these strategies affect the outcome. Game theory has a wide range of applications, including finances, politics, war, psychology, biology, sports, and also business. Now, first, we need to have some definitions. So I'm going to go through some definitions so that people understand the theory a lot better and how it applies to investing and personal finances. Number one, what is the game? Now, a game is any circumstance whereby a result is dependent on the actions of two or more decision makers or decision players, and they're called the players. So what are the players? The strategic decision maker in the game that you're playing. And what's the strategy? Well, the plan of action is basically what the strategy is that a player will choose to implement based on the circumstances they're in. And what's the payoff? 
This is the end result for the player based on the decisions they make. Now, payoff can be in, in the form of money or anything quantifiable. So check out my episode on utility theory if interested back in episode 88, where I talk about this concept. And information? Well, the set information available to each player at any given point in time within the game that enables them to make their strategy and make their decisions. And lastly, equilibrium. This is when players have made the decision and a final outcome is reached. Those are the definitions that I want you to understand because it becomes very relevant for this episode. Now, I don't like the term the game, as it often refers to recreational games, although game theory can be applied to that as well. In this case, you can see how the game theory can be applied to politics or decisions on introduction of legislation or policy, or even in war situations, how they make strategic decisions. So it's actually very, very relevant to many situations. And that's why I don't like the term game. But essentially what the game is, it's any circumstance. So you can replace the term the game with any circumstance, whereby a result is dependent on the actions of two or more decision players. Now, the other thing is, in this episode, we'll focus on the financial decision-making side of things a bit later in the episode, particularly after the break, because the initial part of the episode is going to get into the nitty-gritties and the definitions and the various types of games that can be played. Now, within the final sort of definition called equilibrium is when players have made the decision and an outcome is reached, we need to define something called the Nash equilibrium. This is when the outcome is reached and no player can unilaterally change their decision to better their own outcome. In other words, it's a no regrets situation. Once this equilibrium is reached, there is no deviation and the game is over. That is, the circumstance is finished. It just means the players don't have to deviate from their initial strategy because it wouldn't matter and it wouldn't change the end outcome. So there are various types of games or circumstances that can be played. Number one is cooperative versus non-cooperative games. Now, a cooperative game is basically the most common type of game situation which applies in finances, where a group of players form binding agreements and there is cooperation between the groups, which leads to an ultimate payoff. And that payoff is distributed amongst the various players in that circumstance or in that game. Now, in a non-cooperative situation, they can't form binding agreements, so they work out a situation to achieve the Nash equilibrium so that all of the players are better off and any decision change will not change the overall outcome. To explain this particular type of cooperative game, let's use an example because that's the best way to highlight this. Amy owns a construction company and has been awarded the contract to build a large office building, let's say 20 storeys, but she doesn't have all the materials herself or the expertise to construct it from within her own company. So she outsources some specialties, particularly when it comes to concreting, electrical work, tech work, safety and exit planning. Therefore, she works out binding agreements between all of these companies and herself and her own company. And in that binding agreement, there are timelines, there are costs, and there are project delay penalties. Then she costs it all out based on all the quotes she's received, then proposes it to the original customer, let's say the state government, which they're building the building for. Essentially, she develops agreements between her suppliers and her partners, and then charges the end customer. The partners charge Amy, but the customer ends up paying for all of the building. 
You can see in small niche sectors, this system will pay off really well for all of the businesses involved. And this is because they provide a service to a captive audience. In this case, the state government. This is a type of game played. This is a circumstance called a cooperative game. The second type of game which can be played is called symmetric versus asymmetrical games. In a symmetrical game situation, each individual player or decision maker can make a choice and their payoff primarily depends on the strategy each of the player makes. In asymmetrical game solutions, each individual player's decision doesn't result in the same payoff. This is often due to information asymmetry, which we'll talk about a bit later, because each player may not have the same level of information, so they can't make the optimal decisions. So asymmetrical game situations is very similar to life. We are faced with this in finances and workplaces all the time, and this is likely the norm. It's impossible to have the same level of information based on various different positions of players in the same game, so to speak. Let's use an example to highlight this principle called the dictator's game. Amy is a roster manager at a workplace. The game is the allocating shifts to specific individuals on specific days. Amy technically should be allocating it equitably, but the concept of social distance comes into play. Amy may have colleagues who are also recipients, therefore she may have closer social distance to some players compared to other players. Therefore, she prefers to lower endowment or she prefers to give less shifts to some recipients compared to other recipients and that could be based on the social distance. Now, this sort of thing happens all the time when you think about it in all industries when it comes to rostering in almost every workplace. So if Amy is aware of upcoming shifts, for example, in various industries and has three recipients, she may share that information called information asymmetry to one particular recipient first and then the others later. This means there is no way the payouts for those recipients can be equal for all of the recipients because only one of the three recipients knows about upcoming shifts at a significantly earlier time. That's symmetrical games versus asymmetrical games. The third type is called simultaneous versus sequential. In simultaneous game theory situations, all players make the same move at exactly the same time. In sequential game theory situations, each player makes the move at different times, and those moves are dependent on the other player's moves. Now, this is really easy to explain. Chess is a really good example of game theory using sequential theory. The decision tree of various moves of one player is totally dependent on the move of the other player. And the decision tree changes based on what the other player does. Now, I have some interesting information about the game of chess. And when I say white and black, I'm referring to the color of the chess pieces, and I'm not referring to the color of the person playing the game of chess, just for the record. Now, if you're sensitive about all this stuff, just skip this, please. But I think you'll find this very interesting. And it is really relevant to game theory. The interesting fact here is, have you ever noticed why white pieces get to move their piece first compared to the black piece player? Historically, it actually goes back to the 1800s. And it was actually written in the law book for chess. Back in the day, chess was considered a pastime of the intellects in so-called civilised countries. And generally, the perception of being black was held negatively in society. 
And in the 19th century, black people were unfortunately often caricaturized. So does this mean that white has a greater advantage of winning? Now, interestingly, they've actually studied this and collated data over one million games with white moving first. And the win-loss record is around 55% wins for white players and 45% wins for black players. Is this because of the first move advantage? Now, this is where it gets really tricky. Research suggests that if you have the first mover advantage and move the pawn to e4, and if you play chess, you'll understand what that means, it's likely to result in a marginally raised percentage of victories. To this day, the convention is white moves first. To make this even more interesting, when there are chess puzzles, you'll notice which need to be solved. If you look at chess puzzle books or games, statistically, the puzzles are shown such that white player often wins the puzzle. So that's an interesting bit of historical information, which I found really interesting. And it's one of those principles or rules which has simply been made up and handed down through the generations. And we still follow it to this day. Another interesting piece of information in the game of chess is that the black queen is always to the right of the king and the white queen is always to the left of the queen. There you go. Now, the fourth type of uh, game theory game is perfect information versus imperfect information. This is relatively easy. This just means when playing the game, each player doesn't have the same information. We talked about this before. So when it comes to finances, we can see this sort of situation prevailing all the time. When making financial decisions, most players or most people don't have the same level of information. So they make the decision based on the level of information they have access to or have been told. And lastly, there's zero-sum versus non-zero-sum game. Zero-sum game just means when one player wins, the other player has to lose. It has a direct impact. Non-zero-sum game means when one player wins, it doesn't impact on the ability to win on the other player. So when you think about it, zero-sum games is something we all practice every day when it comes to financial decision-making and also income-making decisions. A lot of the time, when one person wins, another person has to lose, and this generally echoes within a society. A simple example of a zero-sum game is when there are massive product sales. If you buy a product from the shelf and we know there is a finite number of products, then someone else, whether you know them or not, has to miss out. Now, that's about it for this part of the episode. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll discuss game theory and how it applies to finances and some of the other aspects of life. We'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. Now, how does game theory get applied in various sectors or categories? And we'll go through probably about sort of five different sectors where perhaps it's relevant um, and you'll see how it applies in your life. The first category or the first sector is economics. Uh, this is probably the most common use of game theories. It introduces systems for us to understand that competition is imperfect due to asymmetrical risks in the market. Economists can use aspects of this theory to study individual economies, they can study companies, how they behave, etc., etc., and how each part of the economy, they can study how that interacts with each other and how sometimes monopolies or oligopolies occurs. You look around society, you look at some companies absolutely dominate the market and some economies absolutely dominate the global economy. The second application is in business. Now, businesses have to stay competitive in order to make a profit. Part of staying competitive is to ensure they make strategic choices, which gives them payouts and profits. Part of those strategic choices include retiring products, developing new ones, engaging in new marketing strategies and more. Businesses always have competition for best resources, best talent, competition on products and services. We see this in real life when businesses say stuff like we're moving away from these products and services and repositioning our brand and product line to represent a more broader scope. Sounds pretty benign and random, but essentially it kind of means they're shifting focus on their overall business strategy. Some of that decision making, they might be using game theory. The other one is personal finances or investing, my favourite. It may not occur to us, but due to information asymmetry, the way we invest is different to different people. But we are constantly monitoring the market to see if we're in the right direction. Have a look at all the Facebook forums and online forums where people ask similar questions all the time. In fact, the number one question I get asked all the time is, Dev, what's the best investment? This seems to suggest that there is a best investment strategy which seems to constantly change. But if you look at the data over 100 years or so, the stock market seems to consistently give the best returns, but also has a marginally higher risk rate. The decisions we make as investors may be dependent on sequential games, how much expenses we have, how much income we have, and how much emergency funds we have. The data is very clear. You've got to invest early, pick a class of investments that you like, that you understand, keep expenses low, just do it forever. But yet, the same question comes up all the time. Dev, what's the best investment that I should be doing? Now, just to be clear, I'm not a financial advisor. So I always tell these people, I can't advise you on stuff. You need to go see a financial advisor or a financial planner for that level of advice. But in terms of broader scope, in terms of broader things, just have a look at the data around you and it's very, very clear. Now, project management, that's another um, sort of big area that maybe game theory can be used. And this is a common scenario. We all have different incentives when it comes to projects. I've used the example of a construction project just before with Amy. The project manager may have an incentive to complete the project quicker and therefore get their bonus. 
But the external consultants may have an incentive to go slower because they have more billable hours and also ensure the safety of the construction building. Now, each player in this game, in this case, the construction project game, have various incentives, and those players are not privy to those incentives because affecting their decision-making, because it's all independent, and therefore that affects the end outcome. And lastly, consumer products pricing. During sale times, consumers have a set of different expectations and their decision-making is independent on the price, the stock availability, value, and others. Businesses need to understand this. Lower prices generally result in higher sales and more products being bought. During sale times, like Boxing Day sales or Black Friday sales, businesses tend to understand and need to understand the competition and they're pricing their products accordingly based on that competition. Outside of sale times, businesses have to focus on consumer pricing to ensure they price it at just the right amount to reap the maximum profits. If they price it too low, they lose profits. If their price are too high, they won't get as many customers. These are the five main areas. If you look around you, people might be using game theory situations all the time. And remember, the game is a circumstance. The players is your eye or the decision makers. And there's all these different factors and all these decisions that we make based on the available information that we have at the time. Now, that's about it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Hopefully, you'll learn a little bit about game theory, about how you make decisions, particularly when it comes to your own personal finances. You probably don't need to know too much about it, but you need to know that there are some decisions that we make based on the available information, and that decision is based on the circumstance that we are given at that point in time. Now, before I finish up, a couple of things. If you are planning to visit Amsterdam or the Netherlands, there's a few things that I've noticed in this country which is different. Overall, it's an amazing country. Very wealthy, very friendly people, very nice, very picturesque, very multicultural, and certainly a lot to see and do for adults, uh, for children. Obviously, kids, you know, it wouldn't take them to certain parts of Amsterdam, uh, but certainly there's lots of beautiful scenery in the countryside, villages and towns and, you know, small cities, etc. Lots of things to do for kids as well. But there are some interesting things that I did notice. It's an incredibly flat country. So it's very prone to flooding. About 60% of the Netherlands is prone to to flooding. And a lot of the Netherlands is actually reclaimed land from the ocean. So they've built big dikes to make sure that, you know, water doesn't come inland, so to speak. The Dutch actually invented the first stock exchange in the world. And it was largely to do with the Dutch East India Company. So there's a little bit of a relationship between India and the Netherlands for good or worse. And if you visit parts of India, even today, they still have remnants of the Dutch history and the culture, the buildings uh, and the lifestyle. Now, tulips. A lot of people associate the Netherlands with tulips, which is true. They have beautiful tulips. And this is something that a lot of people think about. In fact, in Victoria, just outside Melbourne, there's there's a big festival that happens, I think, twice a year now between sort of April and May and also in springtime. It's called the Tulip Festival, the Tesla Tulip Festival. We love going there. It's great for kids. If you've never taken your kids there, please take them there. I can't remember the exact town. I think it's Sylvan maybe, but it's an amazing experience and you get some lots and lots of uh, great souvenirs, great things to do for kids as well, beautiful landscape. And it's a celebration of the Dutch culture that they have um, in Victoria, which is fantastic. But tulips aren't actually native to the Netherlands, which I didn't know about. It was actually brought in from the Middle East. Now, if you have Fanta in the Netherlands, and I think this might be a European thing, 
The actual can is orange, but the actual liquid is yellow. And it kind of tastes like Fanta, but it tastes a little bit different to the Australian Fanta. Frankly, I prefer the Aussie version, the orange version. And initially I thought it was just a different sort of flavour, but it's actually orange, but it comes out yellow. Again, something a bit odd. I was actually caught using the toilet in Belgium, and I think this is also the same in the Netherlands in McDonald's. Even after I ate there, so I paid for my food, I ate there, and I used the toilet, I didn't realise but you have to pay. A lot of the toilets here, you've got to pay to use them. Again, something that I'm not used to in Australia and in a lot of Asian countries as well. It's quite common, but it's not something that I'm used to. So I just started, you know, went inside the toilet and obviously the person outside the toilet wasn't there and I just went in. When I came out, she asked me to pay one euro, which I thought was pretty expensive just to use a toilet in McDonald's in a restaurant that I had eaten. That was in Brussels, but I think this is also very common in the Netherlands. EVs. Now, you might have listened to my uh, Model 3 episode of the 200,000 kilometre, which would have aired uh, sometime in June. So many EVs in Amsterdam. It was amazing. Just in the Netherlands was fantastic. Also in Belgium as well. We just don't get a lot of the EVs in Australia, which is really disappointing. But it was nice to see uh, a country so progressive in their um, renewable energy policies and in a really transforming their uh, transportation network, which is fantastic. Now, windmills, they generate up to 30% of the country's energy needs, which is, again, amazing. You'll see something that's really interesting. I mean, if you live in Victoria, if you go to rural Victoria, that parts of Victoria that have lots and lots of windmills, but, you know, I think Netherlands has over like 1,500 windmills or something like that, so it's a bit crazy, and they're everywhere. So it's beautiful to see, and obviously the traditional ones back in the day, but, of course, the modern ones as well. And lastly, this is really important. The water there, I'm sorry, taste terrible, even if you buy bottled water, which really surprised me because I was kind of expecting great tasting water. I don't know why. And if you live in Melbourne, like I do, we have no idea what we take for granted here in Melbourne because our tap water is amazing. And if you go to other states in Australia, taste the water, it doesn't taste the same as Melbourne. So I would say that Melbourne tap water is better than bottled spring water in the Netherlands. So I'm sorry, Melbourne takes the cake on this one. I'm looking forward to get back to Melbourne because I love it. Amazing city, in my opinion, humble opinion, world's best city, but uh, really appreciate the hospitality of the people of the Netherlands. So thank you very much. Remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and whatever platform you may be using or leave a five-star rating on all of the platforms. That's even better. And please leave a positive review. And on that note, I got a great review from John S641 via Apple Podcast who writes, don't scroll, hit the play button. Started listening in December 2022 and this has been the only thing I listen to when driving. I finally caught up and listened to all of the episodes. My advice Don't scroll, hit the play button and start listening now. You will not regret it. You can't put a value on the things Dev says. This podcast is a very powerful tool that'll make a difference to your financial behaviors and practices in a way that very few other things can match. Dev makes it sound so easy, but emphasizes that consistency through small long-term changes is important. It doesn't take long for this message to sink in. I became addicted after listening to the first 10 episodes, and this is the 
the best and most beneficial podcast I've ever listened to. Thank you for this great resource, Dev. That's an amazing feedback. Thank you very much, John S641 via Apple Podcasts. And lastly, before I go, I actually found a pair of barter slippers which was packed away from my Thailand trip, I think, in the front pockets of my suitcase. For those of you that are following me on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, you'll realize that when I came to Amsterdam on the flight, I unfortunately couldn't wear my barter slippers because it had slightly ripped and I thought I didn't have a spare, but the spare was actually in the suitcase. I found it today and I'm going to wear it on the flight back to Melbourne. I'm going to share it on Facebook, on Twitter. And by the time this episode airs, You've probably already seen it. The more ratings and reviews you leave, the more people get access to the podcast, so please keep them coming. My name's Dev Raga, and this is My Millionaire Money Professional. Until next time, please wear butter slippers. No, until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. 